I want to continue our message here in Isaiah, and I've titled the message, A Party uh, with a Purpose. Now, you know, uh, when you're a teenager, you can just have a party for the sake of having a party, or, uh, you know, just I just want to get drunk, so let's just have a party. It's just like an excuse. But uh, what's truly exciting is when you have a party, because there's actually something pretty awesome to celebrate, and it's like, okay, that's the reason for the party. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit of an Olympics uh, junkie, and uh, you know, so I, I tend to like enjoy watching all the different Olympics sports. And uh, you know, when I look at some of the folks that have got some of the medals, uh, we've got a couple of pictures here of of two uh, pretty famous athletes. Okay, there's a gold medal from a few Olympics ago, Vancouver. Uh, Sean White, he's got a pretty good hairdo this time, and he got another gold medal. And and uh, uh, Chloe, so you know, she won her first gold medal, and uh, it was you know just phenomenal. And you you think about obviously uh, when these folks come back home, or maybe there they're having a huge party, but it's a party to, to celebrate obviously the incredible amount of hard work that it takes to win a gold medal. Now most uh, folks that are you know winning a gold medal uh, have put in in a huge amount of time. Uh, they're unbelievably skilled athletes. Obviously, they're the top in the world. Not everybody can be number one. Uh, and uh, the heartache and the pain and the suffering, when you hear all their stories, the broken bones and whatever not, it's like, oh my gosh, it just goes on and on and on. And so when they actually get it all together and they win a gold, it's just an incredible party. I mean, there really is a, a great reason uh, to celebrate. And uh, the backstory is always fun, you know, uh, thinking about the different reasons uh, to party. Uh, now, I'd hate to mention the, you know, the Eagles because that's like so old. But, you know, they had a pretty big party and uh, the whole city showed up, Philadelphia. You know, I did say just before the Super Bowl that, you know, within a few weeks afterwards, we'd forget about it. Like, Eagles who... What was the score? But, I mean, they threw a huge party. And, uh, you know, how can you not like the Eagles? I mean, they've never won the thing. And, and uh, so they get out, and it's just a huge celebration. Everybody's in on the party. Uh, great. What a great idea. You know, express your enjoyment in, as a party. But the Bible is telling us about a party which uh, is a little bit more mysterious. Uh, God is telling us again and again that we should be looking forward to this huge party that God is going to throw, that Jesus is going to be the center of, and uh, he's going to invite everybody to this party. I mean, the, the world's invited. Uh, not everybody's going to make it, but God has this idea that he's inviting you and I now, and he's telling us about this party that's going to take place at the end of time. And uh, it's easy for us when we look at a book like the book of Isaiah to get so lost in some of the complexities and the details because there's just so much detail in the book and it's a big book. I mean, it's a, it's a long read. And uh, Isaiah gets these uh, prophetic uh, downloads from the Lord of what's going to happen in the future. And, of course, for the people that Isaiah was talking to in his time, most of what he's uh, picturing is going to happen is going to happen pretty soon, like within his lifespan or right after his lifespan. And, uh, and so, you know, now we read that 
now, long time later, uh, 2,000, you know, 700 years later, and it's like, yeah, Samaria, Tyre, you know, Eden, and, you know, Mayab, you know, who are these people, and who cares, and what do they do, who knows, and it just seems very uh, distant, and, uh, you know, when you're reading page and page, chapter after chapter, and, uh, and you're reading what Isaiah was telling these people was going to happen, you know, for us, it's just like, okay, that's a little uh, uh, maybe boring or irrelevant, or the natural inclination is to say, how does that impact us now? Well, it greatly impacts us now for a few reasons. One, God's big plan was to say, listen, uh, Jewish people, uh, you're going to be the light of the world. I'm going to separate you and I'm going to put you in Jerusalem and you're going to live according to my ways and I'm going to bless you. And when everybody else sees how blessed you are, they're going to want to live according to my ways and want to be uh, a follower of me. And Israel messes up, I mean, to say the least. And uh, God says to them, this is Old Covenant, this is Old Testament language. He says, look, you're either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. There's no in-between. Now, if you follow my ways and you do the things I want you to do, I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much, it'll be ridiculous. But on the other hand, if you don't do what I'm doing, I'm going to leave you to your own, and which basically means it's not going to go well for you. And so what ends up happening is the people of the Jewish people start adopting the cultures and all the misdeeds of all the people around them. And so whatever weird, funky thing the people around them are doing, the Israelites start doing. So, you know, if they need rain, they start praying to some weird God and sacrificing weird animals and doing weird dances. Like, okay, we'll, we'll just, that's what we need to do because that's what the surrounding people do if they want rain. And God is saying to them, no, 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 no. You need to depend on me. If you pray to me, I promise you, you'll get rain when you need it, just the right amount. There's a dependency that God is asking and expecting from the Jewish people then and from you and I today. And he said, if you will live within my rhythm, it'll really go well. If you don't, it's going to be a disaster. And so uh, Isaiah is telling the surrounding nations, says, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, this is what's going to happen to you. And the, if you want to read this block of Scripture, uh, which is a pretty big block that I say I, I might cover today, which is chapters 13 to 23. Well, I'm going to try and cover a block from 13 to 35. But from chapters 13 to, uh, to 23, if we just... Uh, you know, go through the headings of these chapters, you will see that these are specific messages to specific people or people groups or towns. And uh, they're warnings. They, they're saying, this is what's going to happen to you guys. So the chapter 13, a message to Babylon about Babylon. Chapter 14, a taunt of Babylon's king. Uh, message chapter 15, a message about Moab. Uh, 17, a message about Damascus, you know, uh, chapter 18, a message about Ethiopia, chapter 19, a message about Egypt, and, you know, you just go on and on, you think, well, what is going on here? And what is God is basically saying is, who you gonna trust? Are you gonna trust the Ethiopians with what they got? Are you gonna trust the Egyptians and what they got? Do you wanna trust the Babylonians and what they got? Do you wanna trust Tyra and what they got? I mean, each nation or people group has got something 
which is like kind of special. And the, Egypt, the, 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 the religious Jewish people are basically like, I'll try this, I'll try that. And whenever there's pressure, oh, let's try. And God is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And at every turn, whenever there's a little bit of pressure, the people don't trust God. They trust anything but God. And so what uh, Isaiah is doing, he said, look how idiotic you are. You trust this person or this people group, and it's been totally useless. In fact, they're going to be destroyed. You think Tyra is this just, you know, incredible, wealthy, merchant, rich, super, you know, uh, living the high life. Uh, they live in a fortress on an island in the middle of the sea. I mean, just untouchable. You just think that's like the best thing that ever happens to humankind. Guys, they're going to disappear. Uh, they, they're just going to be destroyed. D don't put your hope in big castles and big walls and big fortresses. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. And this message is just being repeated again and again. So when you read all those chapters, read it with the question, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And what God is trying to say, trust me, trust me, trust me. I am dependable. Uh, you know, across the, across the board. Now, I want to zone in here on chapters 24 and 25. So just so we understand how this book is unfolding or this chunk of scriptures unfolding. You go from all these specific uh, towns, specific nations, specific places, and then you jump into a section what I want to look at today, which is general. It's not specific, it's general. And then it goes back to the specifics and then it ends off on chapter uh, 33 and 34 with general and the end of time. Now, what the prophet Isaiah is seeing is kind of mysterious because some of it, it's like imminent. It's soon. It's going to happen and it has already happened. And then he gets a whole bunch of stuff and Isaiah doesn't have any way of differentiating this. He's just reporting what he's seeing. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff that he's getting, which is really about Jesus and about Jesus' coming, and who Jesus is going to be, and what Jesus is going to do, and, and the type of death Jesus is going to die, and it's like ridiculously specific. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff which I want to look at today, which is even past Jesus, which is about the end of the world, the end of time. And the scripture will say, in that day, in that day, and Isaiah is just you know, in that day, it's sort of like mountain climbing. You go for a hike and you think, okay, there's the top of the mountain. And then, of course, you get then it's a false plateau. And you think, okay, well, one more, then I'll hike a little bit more. Well, I'll be at the top. And that's sort of how Isaiah is singing. You say, well, there it is. You know, this is going to happen soon. And then you get there and it's like, oh, wait a bit. There's a huge valley here. And the soon is, is in that day. It's like, uh, it, it's a little ways out. Uh, and so we, we look at this, we look at this uh, situation. So uh, if we turn to Isaiah chapter 24, uh, let me just talk about the destruction of the earth. You know, this is, this is material where all these rock bands really get their stuff, you know, like uh, scary stuff. And uh, it's either out of this section here or out of Revelation. And they just sound so cutting edge and so cool and so scary and so like creative in their thinking. And then you read it and it's like, they're not that creative. They're just got it out the book. I mean, <laughs> the book's pretty creative. But anyway, uh, let me just read this to you. It says here in chapter 24, verse 1, look, the Lord is about to destroy the earth and make it a vast wasteland. He devastates the surface of the earth and scatters the people. 
Now notice how this impacts everybody. Priests and lay person, people, servants and masters, maids and mistresses, buyers and sellers, lenders and borrowers, bankers and debtors, none will be spared. The earth will be completely emptied and looted. The Lord has spoken. The earth mourns and dries up. The crops waste away and wither. Even the greatest people on earth waste away. The earth suffers for the sins of its people. For they have twisted God's instructions, violated His laws, and broken His everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay the price for their sin. We're getting a different perspective, say, of what we're looking at today of, you know, climate change. We'd say, okay, climate change, things are not good. Uh, we totally see uh, the damage that happens. And we, you know, uh, uh, will associate, okay, what's climate change? What's the cause? We know that there's, it's not right. Jesus is, or God is giving us an insight here. It's saying, listen, there's a problem way greater than, than this. There's a problem of our sin, meaning God's saying, our inability to live in right relationship with God has a cause and has a consequence, which is basically we screwing up the whole world. And we're like, what? How can the way we live impact the physical well-being of the planet? And God is saying, it is. Our sin, our inability to live the way that God wants us to live is causing the planet to be corrupt. And so we, we notice this when things aren't right, the wildfires, the droughts, you know, the you know, floods, and, and we say this is just not normal. And you get the sense, as the Bible is saying, that things are happening more and more regularly with more and more severity, and it's kind of like building. And God's saying, yeah, I'm telling you that's what's going to happen. And then God is saying, but the end is going to come. And when the end comes, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to start a whole new thing. Uh, I start again. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let's uh, look here at uh, this party that uh, God is talking about and uh, how this impacts us. So if we uh, go to chapter 25, the next uh, chapter, and of course there's so much good scripture here, but I want to zone in on uh, verses 6 through 9. Uh, it, it says this. Well, it's kind of hard to just, let me just jump in here to chapter uh, 25, verse 4. In the middle here, we're getting an idea of what the problem is of people's sin. So it says here, For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall. You know, God is saying that when people are left to their own resources, when they're left to their own ideas and their own plans, people become more and more ruthless. They become more and more self-centered and self-absorbed it's not like when we get left to our own we become more loving and more caring we don't we become whatever we just become more and more wealthy you know even today if you look at just natural statistics uh, the amount of wealth currently in in the world is held by disproportionately fewer people than even 50 years ago uh, 50 years ago was far more equitable but now, as we're getting, you know, even as a country, as we get wealthier and wealthier, the wealth gets centered on fewer and fewer and fewer people. And so the disproportion uh, is huge, especially when it comes to owning land. I mean, the amount of people that, that 
fewer and fewer people own more and more land. I mean, just to put it simply. And what God's big plan was when the Egyptian, when the the Jewish people went into to Israel was that land was like a big deal. Like everybody was going to be given land and you couldn't lose your land. Uh, you know, they had this plan that even if things went badly for you, you made bad decisions, you'd get your land back uh, and you'd start again. And today we look at more and more land owned by fewer and fewer people and something's not right. But anyway, in verse uh, 25, verse 6, it says this, In Jerusalem... The Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. Now, here's Isaiah. He's like talking about, you know, the, genera- the specifics and now he's in the genera- generalities. He's talking about what's going to happen in that day at the end of the time. He said there's going to be this awesome feast and it's going to be for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the Lord, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. There's something that God wants us to get hold of. And what God wants us to get hold of is not only is there this huge party, but God is saying we need to have a long-term view of our lives. Because just like an Olympic athlete, you will go through plenty of pain and plenty of suffering in this world. Uh, You might be in pain and suffering right this moment. But what God is saying is you need to have a long-term view. The ultimate gold medal is going to be at this banquet, and you want to be there. I mean, that's the message. And God is saying, if you can get what's going to happen at this banquet, and if you can be there, you will, like any Olympic athlete, say, it was worth it. You know, the broken bones, the training, the suffering, the hours of doing things that nobody noticed, uh, you know, you'll say it's worth it. So uh, the first thing that God wants us to grasp when we become his children, when we become his followers, when we become uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, is to say you're going to be invited and you're going to be at this party and it'll all be worth it. In the end, Isaiah and, you know, the New Testament more uh, specifically is saying, make sure you're there. Make sure you've given your life to Jesus. Make sure that you're a follower of his because it will be all worth it. Now, in the interim, God is saying, look, you might have a difficult life here on earth. You'll have ups and downs. But the best possible life you can have in the interim is a life with Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you know, one of my favorite verses, John 10, 10, is saying, I've come, Jesus, I've come to give you life and give it to you in abundance. Now, that does not mean that you will have no pain, no problems, no heartaches, no issues. It does mean that Jesus will be with you and he will help you and get you through the pain, the heartache, the issues, the suffering. He is saying that, and that's a big deal. But the gold medal is there's going to be a day when all of this is going to be sorted out for those that are 
believers. It's not like the whole world is invited, but very few are going to say, Amen, because that's our human nature. We choose to do our own thing, not God's thing. So while Isaiah gives us this sort of quick little insight, and then he kind of moves on to the, the rest of the things God's see, seeing, when we go over to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, we realize that John, the apostle, he gets like the same vision, but with a whole lot more clarity and a whole lot more detail. But what's so interesting is that, you know, 700 years later, the, the book of Revelation, jo John, he's, he's seeing the same banquet. He's seeing the same feast. And so uh, let me just read a little bit out of Revelation uh, to you. In Revelation chapter 19, verse uh, 6 through, through 9, it says this, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean, waves or crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. So we see you know, this theme of this wedding feast, this big party uh, being picked up in the book of Revelation. And then uh, as we look at uh, Revelation 21, we see this, and here's again where this ties in directly with what Isaiah had seen, you know, 700 years previously. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. I mean, this is like something totally new. I mean, God is going to do something which is brand new. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is among his people. I mean, this is incredibly good news. It means God is going to be with us like personally present, not like do we sense God and, you know, where is God? He feels a little distance. I don't know where. No, we're going to be full-time in God's presence. We will receive and experience God's love and care from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. Uh, God has made His home among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. And then He repeats what Isaiah saw, and He says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for uh, what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now, you know, the, um, 
the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, is profound on several levels. But from a personal standpoint, Jesus says, okay, I have come so that people can get an understanding of this vision in a personal way. Where Jesus is saying, I am fully God, and I'm coming in human form so that you can get a taste and a visual of what it looks like to see God and what God looks like and the way God lives and the way Jesus lived with justice and mercy and you know kindness and uh, how Jesus resisted evil in every way and in, in every form. And then Jesus says, now I'm going to die on the cross. Now what this is going to be significant about is it's going to be uh, the first fruits. It, it's an Old Testament concept of saying, I'm going to give you hope and a promise that I'm going to overcome death, which is why we have Easter and why Easter is so significant. Because Jesus dies, but he's fully resurrected. And Jesus is saying, that's the hope that you have and that I have, that this is all going to be true. And it's going to work out just the way God said. He said, I'm going to prove it to you in myself by being resurrected from the dead. Now, what you need to do is you need to hang on to that truth. You need to realize that there's going to be a party in heaven. And if you can believe in God and be faithful to God, obey what God is saying, uh, you will be at this party. And it's going to be worth it. It's going to be totally worth it. Now, the flip side is this. For many, they're saying, well, you know, I don't know if I want to believe. The most loving thing God can do is give us a heads up, a warning of what it's going to be like at the end. And it's going to be a division. I mean, there's those which are going to be with God at this party. Everything's going to be new. And then everybody else won't be at the party, and it's going to be a disaster. They're going to be removed from God. They're going to be, there's going to be a distancing from God, and it's going to be absolutely terrible. And so, you know, there's this emphasis in us, like, okay, God, thank you for being so loving, telling us what your plan is, how we can be part of it, how you want us to be there at the, at the party, but at the same time, realizing that our friends, our family may not be there. And God is saying, that's why I'm giving you time. Invite them. Ask them. But ultimately, people are going to make their own decision. And whatever people's decisions is, if people say, I reject God, I'm not going to follow God, I don't believe in Jesus, then God is saying, this is the consequence. It's not going to go well for you. But if you do, God is saying, I'll be with you presently. I'll get you through your issues today. But there's this huge thing to look forward to in the end. All of us, you know, especially as you get older and more croaky, I mean, you're just like, okay, my joints hurt, my back hurts, I've got bad attitudes, you know, whatever. I want a new body. This starts coming like really like appealing. Now, when you're 30, it's like, who cares? You know, do 10 flips and wipe out on the skis. You know, I'll just get healed and my bones will... Yeah, that's great when you're 20 and 30. But like later on, it's like new body starts sounding really like a good idea, especially a body that doesn't wear out and wear out, you know. And God is saying, I'm promising you this. This is going to be a reality that's worth looking forward to. I mean, God is not talking about a short time period. He's talking about eternity and remaking this world the way it was and should be when Adam and Eve first came into it. In other words, perfect. There was no sin, there were no diseases, no mosquitoes, no ticks. I mean, it's just like awesome. You know, it's just a really great thing. So God is like, 
He's giving us enough so we can grasp it, but we don't have the full idea. We're like, there's still more. I, I can't fully understand it, but it's going to be awesome. So why don't we just, why don't we stand, let's uh, worship the Lord. Let's like get this idea in our heads of the preferred future that God really desires for all of us. Uh, he's inviting the whole world to this, knowing that most people are going to reject, reject him. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you send prophets, and Lord, that you send preachers, and Lord, that you've established churches, Lord, to get your word out, uh, that we can uh, represent you, we can tell people what's going to happen in the future, that we can have hope for today, and Lord, that you promise that you would, that you would send your Holy Spirit to live with us, to encourage us, to guide us, to give us wisdom. And Lord, we say we need it. We need you. We need your ways. We need your truth. And Lord, we do uh, live our lives now with the end in view. And we live our lives now knowing that the end will count. And so, Lord, I just pray for your people. I pray for your blessing on your people. Lord, I, I just pray that your spirit would rise up in your people. Lord, I pray that you would give people faith, faith to follow faith to enjoy the good life that you're laying out before us. Lord, that we would grasp all the good things that you're offering us, that you're giving us, that you're encouraging us in, that we would say yes to you and yes to you and yes to your spirit and yes to your plans for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.